Hello there. Welcome back to my podcast, Healthwise and Author Talk with Simi K. Rao. Today, I would like to read for you one of my short stories called A Cup of Chai. It was published in my newest book, Under the Shade of the Banyan Tree. I hope you enjoy it. A Cup of Chai The delivery truck was late today. Maybe you can come back in half an hour? If not, that's okay too. I'll ask Pedro to set aside some pindi and methi, since I know that's something you are always on the lookout for. You can also give me a list, Mrs. Shaw said, making an appearance from the back of the store. It's all right. I can wait. I'm in no hurry. Roma smiled at the sprightly shop owner. As you wish. Mrs. Shaw turned to head back, then hesitated. I just received a shipment of a new tea brand from Assam. If you'd like to check it out. I know you prefer coffee, though Mr. Chattopadhyay recommends it highly. Zarur, I will. And by the way, I do like tea, Roma said. Roma wandered among the aisles of Shah Groceries, located in a small suburb of Chicago. She paced herself, as there wasn't much ground to cover. Not that she needed to get anything. There were enough supplies at home to last a couple of months, if not more. A certain nostalgia drew her to this place, a certain daisiness that was enough to make her change to buses, walk several blocks, and navigate a busy intersection every week. It was a lovely little shop. Mrs. Shaw kept the shelves well stocked with packages of snacks, pickles, dolls, oils, a variety of flour, rice, and spices, organized in a way they could be easily located. Roma liked to scrutinize them and read their familiar names, translated sometimes imprecisely in English. They were also meticulously displayed, unlike the other store Anand had taken her to two days ago. His excuse? The goods were priced considerably less, which was false. Roma had checked. The difference was minor. Well, perhaps not for all products, but many of them. That place had looked like a small storm had passed through it, with packing cartons scattered all over the floor, and the shelves overloaded and in complete disarray. Roma feared some of them may topple over, but none of the customers seemed to care. They looked intent on saving their precious cents. She could tell Mrs. Shaw took pride in her store, just like Roma's mother had in her kitchen. She could see her now, standing in front of the stove, dabbing her forehead with her palu every now and then to keep the sweat from running into her eyes, at the same time demonstrating an amazing amount of coordination between stirring the chole, rolling out precise rounds of puris, and frying them to perfection. Her greatest reward was when Roma cleaned her plate in record time or so she had believed. How naive I've been. 
she picked up a packet of cloves and held it to her nose. There wasn't even the slightest hint of the sharp, pungent aroma. How she wished Mrs. Shah had chosen to display the spices in bulk so the aroma could scent and revitalize the air rather than be confined in neat little bags of sterile plastic. Unfortunately, that was impractical, according to Mrs. Shah. People are way too busy here. They want everything quick and easy, unlike you, my dear. Sometimes they talked, or rather, Mrs. Shaw talked and Roma listened. After the rush died down, she poured Roma a glass of chilled lussy and beckoned her to join her behind the counter, patting the bar stool she'd somehow managed to fit into the cramped space. The story was always the same, with details added in here and there. With each retelling, the story became more emotional, as if Mrs. Shah was unraveling herself bit by bit. She related about how she had arrived in the States as a young bride, leaving a large family behind in the homeland. The early years had gone by, pleasantly enough, though, Mr. Shaw suffered a few setbacks in the business. You know, starting trouble, as they say back home, Mrs. Shaw said with a gentle twist of her lips. We were young then, and our dreams kept our enthusiasm alive. Sadly, Mr. Shaw caught a fatal disease, a condition that affected his nerves. The doctor said he would be fine. It was just an infection, but he wasn't. He lost coordination in his legs. He started to fall. Then he was in a wheelchair. In a matter of months, it became so he couldn't feed himself. He had trouble swallowing, even speaking. The doctors had to put a tube in his stomach so he wouldn't starve to death. Mrs. Shah's voice cracked. My Vishnu loved food. He implored me to feed him Kanvi and Purnpoli, but I remained stern. I wonder why now. He would have died anyway. She paused and looked away as she relived the pain. I've heard of people dying like that, but I always thought they were old and frail, not strong like Vishnu. He was young not even 50. Imagine a robust man who worked all day long and then came home to play with his sons, to become helpless like a child. He was devastated. Mr. Shah finally passed after a long stint in the hospital. He refused to go on a ventilator. He left behind a wife and two adolescent sons. It was a period of horrible emptiness and fear. I'd never felt so alone before, Mrs. Shah said. Then, while Roma searched for something to say that didn't sound frivolous, a change came over her elderly companion. She straightened her spine and her voice grew strong, as if she'd received a shot of some miracle concoction. 
I didn't run back home with my tail between my legs. No, I didn't, she said, a firm rag of her head. Not, a, not that I didn't want to. She looked at Roma. I did, very much. But my sons and their future came first. I worked hard, and thanks to those who gave me good advice, God bless them, I was able to put my sons through college and pay off the mortgage on the house. Roma was reminded of her mother, a widow herself, who never missed an opportunity to relate her cares to anyone, be they willing or unwilling to listen. Unfortunately, that was where the resemblance ended. Her companion had grown somber again. Now, both the boys are grown up and living their own lives. They have important jobs. Therefore, no time to give their mother a break so she can visit her family. This was when the conversation would invariably come to a halt. Mrs. Shah would turn to Roma with a look that she could only construe as a melancholic anticipation. It made her very uncomfortable. What did Mrs. Shah want from her? Did she expect her to offer to take care of the shop? She wished she could help, but she felt incapable. Besides, her own life was so complicated. Ruma would fidget in her seat and look at the door, hoping a customer would walk in. Fortunately, Mrs. Shah would start talking again. About random things. Isn't the weather too hot? Or, isn't the drizzle irritating? How she missed chai and pakoras in the monsoon. The new Guju restaurant downtown isn't too bad. You should check it out sometime if you haven't yet. And the moment would pass. Oh, there you are. The vegetables are all set up, Mrs. Shaw said. Roma had stepped into a small alcove where various knickknacks such as cosmetics, soaps, henna, and bindis were on display. Okra looks very good this time, Mrs. Shaw said. I ordered the dark green ones, just like you said. I think I will take some home with me today, rather than wait till tomorrow. My ancient neighbor, she's 80 by the way, has been requesting Parva Bindi for a while now. Roma admired the okra. Long, slender, green pods, neatly arranged in parallel rows in the open crate. They were fresh, therefore presumably good. Yet she went through the process of selecting them individually. She bent their tips, applying slight pressure with her fingers, and chose the ones that broke with a sharp snap. Is this any good? Roma looked up startled. A white woman, almost as tall as she was, and Roma was tall, stood in front of her with a box of frozen palak paneer in her hands. She was smartly turned out in a navy business suit, and her red-gold hair was held up in a jaunty ponytail. An ID badge hung round her neck and said, Christine, in big, bold letters. Everything was big, shining, and bold about her. 
Do you understand English? Christine asked. Huh? Roma realized she was staring. Embarrassed, she spoke fast. Yes, I do. Um, sorry, I can't help you. I don't cook frozen. Maybe Mrs. Shaw, the owner, would know better? The woman laughed. It was a full-throated, hearty laugh. According to her, this is better than what she cooks at home. Imagine that, better than home. Unless she happens to be a really bad cook. Gosh, I love Indian food. I just wish I could make it somehow. It seems so complicated. Actually, it's quite easy. All you need is some basic ingredients. I can show you if you wish, Roma said wishing she hadn't when her often was taken up. Is that a sari? Christine asked. Roma nodded. Do you mind if I touch it? Roma shook her head. She watched as the woman carries the fabric, as if it was a rare artifact. It's beautiful, and you wear it so well. Six yards of dyed cotton that Roma chose to wrap around her gangly figure every day. Synthetics irritated her skin, caused a rash, and made her sweat like a pig. She painstakingly washed it by hand, starched it, and dried it by hanging on the railing over the bathtub. The apartment lacked a balcony. Why did she do it? She couldn't come up with a simple explanation. But lately, she always wore a star sari. Not the more convenient and universal salwar kurta, but a sari. It was very unlike her. Back home, until a few years ago, she had liked to dress like a tomboy and reap the disparaging remarks and wrath of a family. They should see her now. Lasari had become her symbol, her motive, the pristinely gathered pleats and perfectly arranged pallu. Perhaps she wore it to help remind her of home, of the rebel she had been, quietly putting her foot down. Was it perhaps to infuriate Anand, who, unfortunately, did not react the way she'd expected him to, except maybe raise his eyebrows. On a couple of occasions, he'd grunted his disapproval when she tripped and almost took a terrible fall down the stairs. Hadn't he come to her aid in the nick of time? She sustained stares of various kinds, even from fellow daisies she met, many of whom considered the sari as an occasional garment. They were flabbergasted to know she hailed not from a small rural town, but from a large city, even more that she spoke fluent English. The confusion made her smile. The following week, Roma postponed her excursion by a couple of hours, to give Mrs. Shaw enough time to arrange her wares and not throw her into a frenzy. It would take a lot to throw the little woman into a frenzy, 
but Roma didn't want to take the risk. She had made her calculations correctly when she saw a few customers leaving the store with bags full of produce. But she was in for a surprise. Christine, they had formally introduced themselves, was standing near the door and waiting for her impatiently. The lady told me I'd find you here for sure if I came by noon. It's almost one, Christine said accusingly. Um, I'm sorry, something came up. I was delayed, Roma said, feeling a sense of familiar unease she hadn't experienced in years. It was as if Christine was the victim of an unknown crime Roma had committed. You know, the recipe you gave me for alu gobi? I think I messed it up. I think I added a tablespoon of turmeric instead of a teaspoon, and a teaspoon of chili instead of quarter. It was so awful. I had to throw it all out. I tried it again with everything exact and perfect, but it didn't taste right. Not like it should. I'm no good. Roma heaved a silent sigh of relief. The matter wasn't as dreadful as she thought. I'm sure you missed something. Let's go over everything again, step by step. Christine shook her head. She had desks down today. She was wearing grey shots and a pink tee with a large ohm inscribed on it. Her beautiful hair lay in loose waves around her shoulders. She looked a lot less intimidating than the first day they had met. No, I can't do it, Christine said. I'm sure I followed all the directions. I even cross-checked the recipe online. I think it needs the hands of an expert. It needs you. Can you come over to my place and show me how to do it? It was the most direct and honest request Roma had ever received. One she couldn't refuse. It was just one visit anyway. Christine was a journalist. She was 36 and single. She lived in an apartment not far from the grocery store. It wasn't large. A small one-bedroom, a cramped living room and kitchen, but it had a beautiful view of the lake. People say location is everything. I say it's the view, Christine said. What made the apartment look even smaller was a vast array of artifacts. There were African tribal masks, dolls, rugs, wooden bowls, various articles of jewelry, even a giant Indian headdress. Sparse for my travels, Christine said mysteriously, and didn't elaborate further. The kitchen was tiny, like a shoebox, but neat. Roma nodded in approval, and Christine showed her the new spice rack, precisely arranged and labeled. She also showed her a brand new set of stainless steel pots and pans. She had even invested in a pressure cooker. So you know I'm serious. As Roma assembled the ingredients for the basic desi curry, Christine continued to talk. 
I used to work for a newspaper. It was back-breaking, hard work. Writing, researching, collecting news on all kinds of mundane, boring things. I hated it and wanted to quit every day, but I had bills to pay. Then I had a lucky break. I was witness to a bank robbery. You know the guys with the stockings covering their heads? Christine gestured with her hands. These men had something similar on, but it was um, thicker like a beanie and fit perfectly like a glove. Like it was custom-made. Custom-made burglar mass. I'll be damned. Christine burst into a characteristic laugh. You probably think it was no big deal. I should be thankful that I escaped unharmed. But guess what? One of these guys removed his beanie mask. He was having some kind of breathing problem, like an asthma attack or something. And I got a good look at his face before he ran. I remembered him. Christine had a huge grin on her face. I happened to have a photographic memory. He was the same guy I had interviewed for a story a while ago. He was a security guard at a local nightclub. That was enough for the cops to crack the case. They caught him along with the rest of the gang. And suddenly... I'm famous. Christine disappeared into a bedroom and came back with a framed picture. I was awarded the Investigative Journalist of the Year Award by the mayor, even though there wasn't much investigation involved. She shrugged. But hey, I took it, and the small cash price that went with it. After that, I had many offers from a lot of different places, newspapers, magazines, even a local TV station, but I refused. I didn't want to work under anyone anymore, so I went freelance. I get by. Wilma was dumbfounded. She understood now where Christine's confidence came from, the attractive radiance that had impressed her the very first time she'd met her. It came from her sense of self, her self-assurance. Roma felt insignificant in comparison. She looked down and started to chop the onions in a hurry. Do you live alone? she asked. Yes. I've had a few affairs. They didn't last long, except for one. Then I married him. Christine burst out laughing again. I couldn't breathe. He sucked all the oxygen from the room. I figured it's best to say, remain single. Are your parents okay with that? Wilma asked, glancing up at her. Why wouldn't they be? Anyway, I'm an adult. I'm my own woman. They can give me advice, but it's up to me to take it. Wilma didn't think she would ever gain the temerity to take a similar stand with her mother. Indeed, she'd allowed herself to be molded by her like a piece of putty, so much so that she had barely any identity left. Enough about me, Christine said. 
tell me about yourself and your life. I bet it's a million times more interesting than mine. It isn't. You'll be bored. Uma turned the stub on. So you won't tell me, huh? You don't have to. Let me guess. I've been doing some research. Wilma watched curiously as Christine examined her face and rubbed her black beaded necklace between her fingers. Hmm. You are young, mid-twenties. Have not been here long. A year at most? You've been married for almost the same time to a most wonderful young man whom you hadn't met until just before your engagement. Who, by the way, is, or shall I say, was, as innocent and inexperienced as you were before you got hitched? Am I right? Christine winked at her. Wilma looked down at her hands. Christine let out a joyful whoop. Gosh, I find that so romantic. What's your husband's name? Or aren't you allowed to take it? Roma realized Christine's research was very behind the times. Anand. Anand Medinathan. Anand V, like she used to call him. Roma had known her husband since she had been a little girl and unaware of the ways of the world. His family had moved into the big house next door when she was still in elementary school. Vedinathans became the talk of the neighborhood. Mr. V wielded considerable influence as a high official in the government. His plump and pompous wife was a walking showroom of jewelry and conchiburum silks, while his only son rode to an exclusive private school every day in a chauffeured vehicle, but remained cloistered out of public view the rest of the time. Infrequently, though, Wilma would catch glimpses of his pale, bespectacled face while playing with her friends in her yard. This one day prompted her to waylay his mother, and inquire if something dreadful ailed her son. Or else, why would he not come out and play? She asked innocently. Mrs. V, considerably flustered at this impertinence, chose to walk away in a huff, and her son vanished completely. Hence, it was to Roma's utter surprise, and Anand manifested in front of her with a soccer ball in his hands. He followed it up the next day with a shining new cricket bat and ball. Apparently, it had taken him considerable courage to disrupt the barrier his mother had set up. His lack of speech made Roma believe he was mute. Then she discovered he was just painfully shy. A friendship blossomed between the two. They were rarely seen apart. Wilma taught her new friend how to climb trees and that it was okay to steal mangoes from Mr. Ayer's orchard. When he had so many, how could he miss a few? 
They swung from the roots of the old banyan tree in the temple yard. Every evening, his mother would, her mother would invite him into her kitchen and feed him mouth-watering North Indian delicacies. In turn, Anand helped Roma make sense of math and convert Fs into Bs and As. This went on for a few years, despite Mrs. V's obvious disapproval. Then he disappeared again. He had been packed off to a boarding school in Dehradun. Roma didn't hear from him until several years later when her mother informed her about his arrival. His proposal followed the next day. So, it wasn't exactly as Christine had said, but Roma wasn't about to correct her. The curry turned out good. Christine was ecstatic, but she wasn't satisfied. She grasped Roma's hands in hers. I want to learn more. I want to become a gourmet cook so men will flock around me. Will you be willing to be my guru? Roma smiled and nodded. After all, at home, she only had blank walls for company. A few weeks later, Roma arrived at the usual time and found Christine already busy in the kitchen in a state of nervous excitement. She said she was throwing a lunch party to test my newfound skills. She had invited a couple of her neighbors. They are PhD students and always on the lookout for something free. Jill and Adam look like twins, but are actually husband and wife. I was shocked when they told me. You know, there's a saying that if you live with someone long enough, you start looking like that person. Roma wished her friend the best and took her leave, but Christine stopped her. I insist you haven't taught me how to make dessert. Is that all you do? Cook? Stefano asked. Roma felt as if something had stung her. Not just for the disparaging remark, but because it was the first thing Stefano had spoken to her. He had a distinct voice that grated on the ear like sandpaper. When he stepped inside Christine's apartment, Roma had believed he was some kind of tramp walked in from the street, pulled in by the irresistible aroma. She'd expected her friend to shoo him away. She was quite taken aback when she didn't. Instead, Stefano was welcomed with open arms like a long-lost friend and provided the seat of honor at the head of the table. Stefano is an artist, Christine said. A realist, you know, like Gustave Courbet she said with a gleeful wink. When Roma didn't take the hint, Christine explained, Stefano likes to get deep into his subject, which currently happens to be homelessness. He's living the life, as you can see. What Roma saw was a man who looked like he hadn't had a square meal in days, nor, he had, nor had he bathed or groomed himself in a month, maybe more. It was all she could do to keep from covering her nose and mouth with her palu. Stefano was obviously very sincere to his cause. What do you mean, Steph? Christine asked. 
Not everyone can cook. I didn't mean it that way, Chris. I think your new friend has other talents that she doesn't want to share. You don't have to take my word for it. Just look at her. Roma squirmed on the edge of the sofa. You know, I think Steph is right, Adam said. What are you hiding, Roma? She has a lovely voice. Yes, I bet she sings. Jill, his fragile, bird-like wife, twittered. Nah, Stefano waved a hand dismissively. This woman dances. Really? Jill asked. You dance Bollywood? Gosh, I love Bollywood. I've been a big fan ever since I saw Slumdog. Not that crap. Her art is deep, more refined, Stefano said, his eyes fixed on Roma. Christine had been quiet so far. Stefano's very intuitive, she said. He's never wrong in such matters. Roma, you have to dance for us. I'm not good at all. Besides, I haven't danced in a long time. Roma looked imploringly at Christine. You have to, Christine said. No excuses. Please, for your friend. Roma knew she was stuck. She closed her eyes to compose herself. Then she slowly got up and tried to move her hands and feet in ways other than required for the most mundane tasks of daily life. It seemed like an eon had passed since she had taken up this activity, which she decided to give up forever. It turned out to be an embarrassing struggle, and the movements ungainly and hideous. She could hear her guru's shrill, admonishing tirade, even though the steps were among the most basic. She couldn't go on and stopped, almost on the edge of tears. When a small audience erupted in applause, she was certain they were mocking her. Roma, that's your name, isn't it? Roma poised at the door. She had been about to enter Shaw Groceries. She stopped and scanned her surroundings. The voice was unmistakable, but she couldn't spot the owner. It's me, Stefano. We met at Chris's place. She told me where to find you. The man talking to her was resting his long limbs against a lamppost across from the store. Roma regarded him with suspicion, then blushed with embarrassment. It wasn't her fault that she didn't recognize him. The man had undergone a drastic transformation. Most of the facial hair was gone. What remained had been neatly combed away from the face, and a short, crisp beard covered his chin. The torn, stained rags had been replaced with a bright yellow t-shirt and jeans, and most importantly, there was no odor. The homeless face was over, she guessed. She was unsure of what to make of the change. Tramps and hobos evoked pity and a certain fear in her that she was ashamed to admit. Even revulsion. Now that he had abandoned that identity... She had to begin all over again, 
which distressed her quite a bit. I'm glad I found you, he said, uncoiling himself. I want to show you something. Come with me. He turned around and started down the crosswalk. He didn't give her a chance to refuse. I could have ignored him, but she followed him. I live close by, he said, raising his voice about the sounds of the street. They walked a couple of blocks. I could turn back now, but Roma kept walking, intrigued. She trailed him through a filthy alley, then down a winding street, and across a bridge and another street. By the time he strode into a laundromat, Roma was thoroughly confused. She stood in the middle of the floor and glanced around, almost expecting someone to come forward and tell her what was going on and why she was here. Come on, don't worry, I won't rape you. Stefano stood next to an open door at the back of the store that led to a flight of stairs. Roma was glad he'd headed up and didn't see her blush. At the top of the stairs, she followed him into a long, narrow passage, painted in vivid hues. The kaleidoscope of color threw Roma's head into a wild spin that she almost lost her balance. She closed her eyes, took a deep breath, and slowly opened them again. She was surrounded by pictures, thousands of them, posters, paintings, and murals. She turned around slowly. Most of them seemed to be related to music. She was arrested by one in particular. It had a black man depicted as Lord Vishnu in his most magnificent avatar. That's Jimi Hendrix. Cool, isn't it? Stefano said softly behind her, making her jump. But that's not what I want to show you. Come. He pushed at a section of the wall at the end of the passage. It turned out to be a door. He waved her head. Roma walked in after quite a bit of hesitation, preparing herself for another jolt. And surprised she was, as it was in stark contrast from the room she'd left behind. It was like she'd been floundering in the sea and suddenly had been pulled on to dry land. The room wasn't huge, but certainly more airy and filled with natural light. She saw images again, some on easels, many tacked to the wall. There were drawings and sketches in black and white of people on the streets, destitute souls scavenging among, among trash, sleeping on park benches, finding shelter under bridges, shooting up poison. They had a uniform look on their faces, resignation. Their spirits had given in. It was all so real that Roma was moved. She noticed that many of the drawings were incomplete, like unvarnished wood, as if the artist had taken up the project, then given up prematurely. Was it by design? 
or would he complete them at a later date? What do you think? Good enough for an exhibit? He asked. Why do you ask? These are wonderful. She looked at him. Stefano shook his head. I don't think anyone will buy them. Too grim and ugly. They tell a story people don't want to see. I would if I had the money. Roma smiled at him. Well, I'm flattered. And for saying so, you deserve a gift. He walked to the wall and removed a sketch of an old woman sitting on a roadside bench next to a shopping cart overflowing with all kinds of stuff. Sonia sat at the corner of this very street for so long that the day she disappeared, I felt like a landmark had gone missing. He rolled up the picture and presented it to Roma. Here, you can have her now. This is too generous. I, I can't. You have to. I need to empty the space from her next project. He winked at her. What happened to Sonia? Roma asked, fingering the roll sheet. She died. Or relocated to another spot. I don't know. Anyway, that is not why I brought you here. He hauled an easel from the back of the room, then set it in front of her. With a flourish, he flung back the cover. This is... Roma's dead. Is that me? Yes. She stepped forward and without seeking permission, gently touched the sinuous silhouette of the dancer. There was an extraordinary joy in her movement that felt alien to Roma. But the rendering was incomplete. The space where the dancer's likeness should have been had been left bank. She had a good idea why. What happened? Do you think it's not good enough? She glanced at him. No, it is very good. Stefano smiled. I see you noticed. My dancer lacks a face. I wanted to put you there, but I didn't want to do it from memory. I want you to sit for me. I can't leave this lovely woman incomplete. Roma shook her head. You can put anyone there. Doesn't have to be me. She turned and started for the door. It has to be you. No one else. Stefano blocked her way. Besides, I find your face very interesting and unique. It'll make this painting special. I can compensate you for your time if you wish. I don't want your money. I will do it so you can finish the job, Roma said. That's all. That's the spirit. Let's begin ASAP. How about tomorrow at one? Roma didn't tell Stefano the reason why she'd agreed to sit for him was because he'd said he'd found her interesting and unique. It sounded better than plain and dowdy. That, and because she found Stefano to be an enigma himself, 
carefree and flamboyant on the outside, but earnest and deep on the inside, like his apartment. There was a lot more to this man. Wilma hid the present on the top of the kitchen closet, where she knew it was unlikely for Anand to find it. She opened her suitcase and removed her dancing bells from the very bottom where she had hidden them. She hadn't touched them since she had arrived in the States nearly five months ago. She bent down and tied them round her ankles. The weight felt strange. She walked around the apartment, rejoicing in their lilting chime. She began to hum. What should I cook for dinner? She opened the refrigerator. And for the meeting with Stefano tomorrow? What would he like? This is the end of part one. Part two will follow soon. Stay tuned.